true crime bitches my name is Jessica and viewer discretion is advised we will tell you strange dark mysterious and true crime stories today's podcast is going to be about the Milwaukee cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer the Milwaukee cannibal Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer sorry was born May 21st 1960 in Milwaukee Wisconsin to Lionel Herbert Dahmer and Joyce Annette Dahmer. Some reports say he was a deprived of de- attention as an infant. Other sources, however, suggest that Dahmer was generally doted upon as an infant and toddler by both parents. Although his mother was known to be tense, greedy for both attention and pity, and argumentative with her husband and their neighbors, when Jeffrey was going into first grade, his dad, Lionel's studies, were keeping him away from home much of the time. When he was home, his wife, Joyce, was a hypochondriac who suffered from depression and demanded consistent attention and spent a lot of time in bed and at one time Joyce tried to commit suicide with ethanol or I mean equinol I'm sorry if you don't know what equinol is I'm going to explain it equinol is a short-term treatment for symptoms of anxiety and nervousness it acts on certain certain centers of the brain to help calm your nervous system now back to Jeffrey's childhood youth adulthood and going up to the murders and sadly neither parent devoted much time to Jeffrey later he recollected that from an early age Jeffrey felt unsure of solidity solidity sorry of the family quote recalling extreme tension and numerous arguments between his parents during his early years Jeffrey had been a happy and energetic kid but became notably subdued after double hernia surgery shortly after his fourth birthday in elementary school he was considered quiet and timid one of his teachers said she could see early signs of abandonment since his father and his mother's illness the symptoms really started to get bad when she got pregnant with her second child that they let Jeffrey name and he wanted his brother's name to be David in October of 1966 Jeffrey would have been six uh, almost six moved from Milwaukee Wisconsin to Bath Township Ohio this was the third move in two years and Dahmer's sick and the Dahmer's sixth address since they've been married this new house stood on one and a half acres of woodland there was a small shed on the property that was a short walk from the house where Jeffrey started to collect large insects and small skeleton skeletons of animals such as chipmunks and squirrels some of these remains were in jars of formaldehyde and stowed within the shed 
Two years later, during a chicken dinner with his family, Jeffrey asked his father what would happen if you put chicken bones in bleach. Lionel was pleased with this. He believed to be his son's scientific curiosity. Demonstrated how to safely to preserve and bleach animal bones, Dom Jeffrey incorporated these preserving techniques into his bone collecting. He also began collecting dead animals, including roadkill, which he would dissect and bury, bury by the shed with the skulls on top of makeshift crosses. According to one friend, Jeffrey wanted to know how the animals' bodies fit together. One instance in 1975, Jeffrey decapitated the carcass of a dog before nailing the body to a tree and impaling the skull with a stick in the woodlands behind his house as a quote-unquote prank. He later invited a friend to view the display, claiming he had discovered the remains by chance. Yeah, right, by chance. That's just disgusting. I would have dropped a friend like that. I like weird and creepy stuff, but not like that. The same year, Lionel taught Jeffrey how to preserve animal bones. Joyce began her daily consumption of equinil, laxatives, and sleeping pills, furthering minimizing tangible contact with her husband and children. To me, that mixture does not sound good. Just for the fact that what if she has to go to the bathroom? Is she going to poop her pants? She has laxatives and sleeping pills in her system. Now that I've touched up on his childhood, we will be talking a little about his adolescence and high school life. From his freshman year at Revere High School, Jeffrey was seen as an outcast. By the age of 14, he began drinking beer and alcohol. In the daylight hours, even taking it to school hidden within his jacket. Jeffrey told one classmate, that asked why he was drinking scotch in a morning history class. He told the classmate that it was his, quote, medicine, quote. Although largely uncommunicative, in his freshman year, Jeffrey was seen by staff as polite and highly intelligent, but with average grades. He was a competitive tennis player and played briefly in high school band. When Jeffrey hit puberty, he discovered he was gay. He did not tell his parents he had a brief relationship with another teenage boy, although they never had sex. I looked into this, and I could not find anything saying he had a boyfriend. The only person he had compassion for was his grandmother. And that's pretty sad, since he had parents, even though... Both of them seem to be shit parents. And a little brother. He only had compassion for his grandmother. By Jeffrey's admission, he began fantasizing about dominating and controlling a completely submissive male partner in his early to mid-teens. And his masturb 
when he was masturbating fantasies gradually evolved to his focus on chest and torsos. These fantasies gradually became intertwined with dissection when he was about 16. Jeffrey conceived a fantasy rendering unconscious a particular male jogger he found attractive, then making sexual use of his body on one occasion. Uh, uh, sorry, and uh, it concealed himself in bushes with a baseball bat, lie in wait for this man. However, the jogger did not pass on this particular day. Good. Jeffrey admitted this was his first attempt to attack and render an individual submissive to him. Jeffrey was known to his peers as a class clown who often staged pranks, which became became known as, quote, doing a Dahmer, quote. These include bleating and simulating epileptic seizures or cerebral palsy at school and local stores. Sometimes he would perform these acts for money to purchase alcohol. By 1977, Jeffrey's grades had declined. His parents hired a private tutor. One second, I lost where I was, sorry. A private tutor. I'm sorry, you guys. I pushed too many buttons and exited my um my word. Okay. Um hired hired a private tutor with limited su- success. The same year, in an attempt to save their marriage, his parents attended counseling sessions. They continued to argue frequently when Lionel discovered Joyce had engaged in a brief affair in September 1977. They decided to divorce, telling their sons they wished to do this ambulically to process Uh, The process of their divorce soon became incredibly bitter, and Lionel moved out of the house in early 1977, temporarily residing in a motel on North Cleveland, Massillon Street. In May of 1977, Jeffrey graduated from high school a few weeks before he graduation before he graduation, one of his teachers saw him sitting close to the school parking lot drinking a few cans of beer. When the teacher threatened to report the matter, Jeffrey informed the teacher he is experiencing, quote, a lot of problems, quote, at home, and that the guidance counselor was aware of them. That spring, Joyce uh, had a court order, court 
order home and the guidance uh, and without informing Lionel, sorry, moved out of the family home with David to live with his family in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Jeffrey just turned 18 and remained in the family home and the Dahmer divorce was finalized on July 24th, 1978. Joyce was awarded custody of David in alimony payments. And I don't know why she didn't take Jeffrey with him, with her, since he did just graduate. It, it didn't explain why she didn't give a fuck about Jeffrey to take him anywhere. And now, and I don't know why Lionel didn't check on him either, since he was closer. So it it kind of makes no sense to me, at least. And so we're going to get to the gory stuff. If you don't want to listen, please skip ahead. Because this one's not too bad, but it, it gets worse by the end of this thing. His first victim was Stephen Mark Hicks. Born June 22, 1959, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Born to Richard Hicks as a quality control analyst and Martha Hicks, a homemaker. Stephen graduated from Conventry High School, just of Akron, Ohio. He was seen as an outgoing and friendly he was seen as outgoing and friendly. Richard had said his son had a, quote, trusting personality, quote. His father even warned his son that hitchhiking was dangerous. He said even picking up a hitchhiker, even picking up a hitchhiker, just a lecture, oh, wait, hitchhiking was dangerous. He even picked up a, a hitchhiker just to lecture her about hitchhiking. And he did say that his son could be pretty rowdy due to unseen and unforeseen circumstances. He found it necessary to walk 24 miles to a concert. He was anticipating featuring the Michael Stanley band in the Montrose area of suburban Akron. He had hitchhiked earlier that day being picked up by a caravan full of students and he said he would meet them at an airport field but never showed up. In 1978, due to some unforeseen circumstances, he found it necessary. Oh my gosh. Um, he found it necessary to walk 24 miles to a concert he was anticipating featuring the Michael Stanley Band. Jeffrey states he picked up a hitchhiker whom he described as a white male about 19, which was Stephen Hicks. Jeffrey said he took Stephen home and had homosexual sex with Stephen, and they were drinking beer 
and became intoxicated. Jeffrey and Stephen got into a physical fight because Stephen tried to leave, and during the fight, Jeffrey struck Stephen with a barbell. Jeffrey said the blow of the barbell caused the death of Stephen, and at this time, Jeffrey took Stephen's body out into the wooded area by his house and left Stephen to decompose for about two weeks. Jeffrey returned with a sledgehammer at this time and used it to break the bones, and then he scattered them about the woods. Stephen's, Stephen Hicks died June 18, 1978, and he was sadly only 18 years old. Now we are going to touch up on his college and army services. Six weeks after Stephen Hicks' murder, Jeffrey's father, Lionel, and his fiancée, Sherry Jordan, returned to the house to discover Jeffrey living alone. Jeffrey then enrolled at Ohio State University, or I'm going to call it OSU, just to make it easier instead of me saying the whole university every time. Hoping to major in business, Jeffrey's sole term to OSU was completely unproductive, largely because of his alcohol abuse. He received failing grades in anthropology, classical civilization, and administrative science. The only course he was successful grade at was riflery, having received a B minus grade. His overall GPA was a 0.45 out of a 4.0. On one occasion, Lionel paid a supervised visit to his son to find his room strewn with empty liquor bottles. Despite his father having paid in advance for the second term, Jeffrey dropped out of OSU after just three months. In January of 1979, on his father's urging, Jeffrey enlisted in the United States Army because Lionel gave Jeffrey an ultimatum, shape up and get a job or join the Army. Lionel then dropped Jeffrey off at the Ohio Bureau of Employment Services, but Jeffrey decided he was going to go to the bar, but then got arrested for drunken disorderly conduct. And Lionel had no choice. He left. He drove Jeffrey to the Army Recruiting Center. That's when he joined the Army for a three-year enrollment as a medic. He went through four months of Army basic training at Fort McLennan in Anston, Alabama. He then went under, he underwent medical specialist training at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. Come early July 1979, he was shipped off to Bahuma Holder, West Germany where he stayed until March of 1981. There he served as a combat medic in the 2nd Battalion, 68th Armed Regiment, 8th Infantry Division, before becoming a, uh, before becoming a combat, combat medic. Dahmer had originally wanted to become a military police officer, Jeffrey's platoon leader, David G 
Goss was a clinical specialist at the aid station. Goss said, quote, I'd go back to diagnose a patient, and he was right there with me, eager to learn, quote. Unfortunately for Goss, Dahmer leveraged his atom anatomical education and did nothing more than the butchery of his victims. Despite Dahmer's apparent enthusiasm, Goss also described him as, quote, an average or slightly above average soldier, soldier in his first year, quote. There's no mention of Dahmer's marksmanship as related to his interest in riflery in college. Judging by Goss's evaluation, Dahmer's first year must have been his best year. Before long, Dahmer moved from, quote, average or slightly above average soldier to a nuisance of the barracks. Violent, alcoholic, and spewing racist and outright, quote, psychopath, quote, and narcissist. As fellow soldiers Billy Capshaw says on the rep, by the end of Dahmer's second year, the army, like Dahmer's father, Lionel, before them, wanted him out. Two men in particular reportedly fell prey to Dahmer's sexually violent tendencies during his time in the military. Billy Capshaw and Preston Davis. At the Warp City, Dahmer, quote, physically beat him, Capshaw, when Billy complained to those in authority, he was told that he was being a pussy, quote. Oh, wait, not, not quote, and was not taken seriously. The severity of the physical abuse increased, and Dahmer used an iron bar, which was part of the apparatus for the bed, to hit Billy across the joints, quote. On the, on the independent, Capshaw said, quote, I had probably been raped eight to ten times, I don't know. I don't know. He was tying me to the bunk with motor pole rope. He took all my clothes from clothing from me. He would either beat me before he raped me or he would beat me after. Quote. Capshaw went to the authorities for a rape kit, but they did nothing. Quote. I was there for another 17 months being raped and tortured. They threw me to the dogs, quote. Preston Davis said that Dahmer was, quote, a very racist individual, quote, who became monstrous when drunk. Quote, somewhere in the time frame, quote, Davis said of a three-day mission in Belgium, quote, I was drugged and assaulted. The reason he didn't kill me, he said, after I left, quote, I should have killed that n that N-word, because I'm not saying it, because that's not appropriate for me to say. But it was what the guy actually said when I had the chance. But that was the reason he couldn't kill me. We were out in the middle of Belgium. 
he had no idea how to get back to Germany. During the last six months of Dahmer's military service, as the Akron Beacon Journal reports, Jeffrey's platoon leader, plat platoon leader, David Goss, put Jeffrey into an alcohol abuse program. It did nothing. The last two months of Jeffrey's service were basically spent as a prisoner. He was restricted to his room, and when not in his room, he was escorted everywhere. He was allowed to eat under supervision, go to the bathroom, and be taken to the army exchange to buy soap, toothpaste, and deodorant. That's it. That should tell you something. On March 24th of 1981, Don Jeffrey was sent to Fort Jackson in Columbia, South Carolina for a debriefing per Women's Health magazine. He was given a plane ticket to go anywhere. Unable to face his father, Jeffrey chose Miami Beach. Got a job at a deli, couldn't pay rent, was evicted, and called his father. After his return to Ohio, Jeffrey intently lived with Lionel and Sherry Jordan and insisted on being delegated numerous chores to occupy his time while he looked for work. He continued to drink heavily for uh, drink heavily, and two weeks after he, his return was arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct. He was fined $60 and suspended 10 days jail sentence. Lionel tried to wean Jeffrey off of alcohol, but his help did not go well. In December of 1981, Sherry and Lionel sent him to go live with his grandmother in West, West Alley, Wisconsin. Jeffrey's grandmother was, a, was the only family, family member to whom Jeffrey displayed any affection, which I said earlier in the, this episode. Um, they hoped with him being with her influence would help Jeffrey to quit drinking, find a job, and live responsibly. Initially, Jeffrey's living arrangements with his grandmother harmoniously, he accompanied her to church, willing to undertake chores, actively sought out work, and admitted by most of the house rules, although he still drank and smoked. In early 1982, he was he found a job as a phlebotomist at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center. He kept this job for 10 months before he was laid off. Jeffrey remained unemployed for over two years, during which he lived on what his grandmother gave him. Shortly after losing his job, Jeffrey was arrested for indecent exposure on August 8, 1982 at a Wisconsin State Fair Park. Why? Why would they let him go after everything? Like, they can look at his record. Like, this just annoys the shit out of me that the cops didn't give a fuck enough to take him in and keep him. He was, he was observed exposing himself on the south side of the Coliseum in which 25 people, including women and children, he was convicted and fined $50 plus, $50 plus court costs. In January 1985, Jeffrey was hired as a mixer at the Milwaukee Ambrosia Chocolate Factory, 
where he worked from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. six nights a week. With Saturday nights off, shortly after he found this job, an incident occurred in which he was by another man while reading at West Ally Public Library. The stranger threw a note at Jeffrey offering to perform sexual favors upon him. Although he did not respond to this proposition, the incident stirred in his mind the fantasies of control and dominance he had as a teenager, and he began to familiarize himself with Milwaukee's gay bars, gay bathhouses, and bookstores. He also stole a male mannequin from a store, which he used for sexual stimulation until his grandmother found it and hid it in a closet and demanded that Jeffrey go throw it away. By late 1985, Jeffrey started regularly going to the bathhouse. He later described being a, being a relaxing place, but during his sexual encounters, he became frustrated. For move, uh, sexual encounters, he became frustrated for moving during the act. Following his arrest, he stated, "Quote." I train myself to view people as objects of pleasure instead of as people, quote. For this reason, beginning of June of 1986, he administrated sleeping pills to his partners, giving them liquor laced with sedatives. He then waited for his partners to fall asleep before performing various sexual acts with uh, to maintain an supply of this medication, Jeffrey informed doctors he worked nights and required the tablets to adjust to this that to that schedule. After approximately twelve such instances, the bathhouse administrators administrations revoked Jeffrey's membership and he began to use hotel rooms to continue his practice. Shortly after Jeffrey's bathhouse membership Memberships were revoked. Jeffrey read a report in the newspaper regarding the upcoming funeral of an 18-year-old male. He conceived, con conceived the idea of stealing the freshly interred corpse and taking it home. According to him, he attempted to dig up the coffin from the ground, but found the soil too, ha too hard and abandoned the plant. On September 8th of 1986, Jeffrey was arrest, arrested upon a charge of lewd and lascivious behavior for masturbating in the presence of two 12-year-old boys. As he stood close to the Kineki River, he had intentionally claimed he had merely been Peen, unaware there was witnesses, but soon admitted the offenses. The charge was the charge was charged to dis, uh, disorderly conduct, and on March 10th, 1987, was sentenced to one year of probation with additional instructions to undergo counseling. Sorry, but this is where I'm going to have to stop this podcast. We will be back next week for the second part of this, and this is 
where it gets really graphic and horrific. Next week, I'll be going into all of his crimes and how he died. If you want to get in contact with us, and if you have any scary stories that you would like us to share, please feel free to send us an email at true, period, crime, period, B-I-T-C-H-S at gmail.com. I, I think it's actually true, period, crime, period, B-I-T-C-S at gmail.com. If you want to support our podcast, please review and rate us. And if you want to donate money to us, uh, you can go to our Patreon. And on October 31st, which is Halloween, will be your first Patreon-only uh, podcast. And I'm not going to tell you what I'm going into, but I'll be going into the holiday. Um, it, and thank you for listening. And if you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, please call 1-800-656-4673. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great day and stay safe.